0: guys welcome back to the finding strength podcast i'm here with matt quackenbush (laughs) you're doing great keep going you're doing good anyways um no we're back and i hope you guys enjoyed the carolina episode it was great she did amazing yeah it was really awesome to have her talk about her um, one of things that stood out to me, if you guys haven't listened to it, here are the things that stood out and if it interests you, you can go back and listen to it. But she talked about, I loved how she talked about when she goes into work and people come at her when they're switching shifts and like, they're just like, da, 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 so-and-so and, and she just takes a step back and she observes it herself and then decides whether she thinks like the scenario was the way it was told or, um how she wants to portray that that shift went that
1: Wouldn't day. that be nice to just be less reactive and less impulsive? I'm <laughs> talking to myself right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we should teach Layla that too. <laughs> we should teach
1: our children how to be less reactive and less impulsive.
0: Uh, and then the other thing that I love that she talked about was the process of her and Will trying to figure out how each of them communicate. So they knew how to communicate to each other, which I, that just hits home for, I think, married people. Like you have to figure out how your spouse communicates. And I feel like it does also change as time goes on and you grow and you evolve. So it was a great episode. You guys should go check it out if you haven't. If you you haven't haven't listened to it yet, it's a good
1: one for sure. Yep,
0: But this week... We're going to talk about today. um, I attended the Utah Fall Addiction Conference, correct?
1: Yeah, it's the official name for it is the Utah Fall Conference and Symposium.
0: Ooh, Ooh, fancy word, fancy name, right? (laughs) But I got to attend that with Matt this year, which you usually go to every year, and you spoke this year. Yep, you were a guest speaker. I was, which was awesome.
1: It was really cool. It was quite the honor and opportunity to speak. In front of all my colleagues. It was really cool. Um, you know, I've been doing a lot of speaking for a while and spoke at tons and tons of different conferences, but this was the first time I've spoken at this conference and it was very, very, uh, it was amazing to share the stage with some really incredible, um, minds and figures in the world of mental health treatment and addiction. Um yeah, it was it was pretty great. I really enjoyed the experience. And it was cool to have you there and our friends came. Yeah, and that was cool. It was cool to see some of my uh past colleagues and stuff like that. It was it was pretty amazing experience.
0: It was a lot for me.
1: It was. Well, here's the thing. This, <laughs> this is something that I do. All we're sitting there <laughs> story time, right? <laughs> we're sitting there in the in the at the table and Brittany's like, "Wow." How much longer do we have? I'm like, it's long, huh? She's like, yeah, this is kind of hard because it's not easy to sit there for two full days and just listen and learn and take notes.
0: Well, and you're learning about like, you're not just learning about surfacey stuff. Like I was learning about the brain. I was learning about receptors and how like... Um, you know, some drugs like work here and there. And I, ju- I was so fascinated by it, but I also was like trying to absorb as much information as possible. And I remember looking over at Matt and just being like, I have the biggest headache, <laughs> but it was incredible. Like I cannot believe some of the people that were there and how genius they are and how much they know you guys. It's so awesome to know that there are people that come together for our state of Utah. And they educate all these therapists with the latest like versions of therapy or the things that they've learned about the brain. And they teach this to all the therapists who attend and try to make our therapists awesome and better and help out our community. And it was really cool to experience that and be able to be there with you and Kind of understand what it is that you do a little bit more too. Cause you're right. Like you go and you speak a lot. Like you're gone a couple times a month doing this. And it made me gain some more empathy for you and how much you work.
1: Thank the Lord for empathy. <laughs> <laughs> well, cause there's this perception like I'm going off and I'm out, like freaking hang out with my friends and going to all these fancy you dinners. you do. Which is like a small part of it, but really it's freaking hard, but it's beautiful and wonderful and amazing. And it's such an incredible opportunity that I'm so grateful that I get to experience so regularly to be, you know, a a part of this movement to change the way that we view ourselves. Yes. And that's, that's what it really is that, that mental health professionals are trying to do is... and you saw a lot about this at the conference too, right? Like the way that we see ourselves is really important, Yeah. And one of the hardest things to do is change the way that I see myself because really, and as you learned at the conference, right? Especially my little, uh, spiel that I do, the way that I see myself is actually just a continuation of how I was taught to see myself in my childhood. Yeah. And unlearning that is, really kind of almost like a life's mission, if you will. That's what we're here to really do is learn about reality. And the way that we see ourselves oftentimes is not reality.
0: Mm-mm.
1: It's make-believe. Yeah, And it's the make-believe stories that we've had to tell ourselves, the make-believe views that we've had to maintain in order to survive our environments. And a lot of times what people do is is they will blame themselves and believe that they are worse than they are. And you kind of have to do that in order to survive your environment. And what's really cool is this weekend, what got talked about a ton, was how that changes the way that the brain works. Yes. Right?
0: Yes. Yeah, it was really cool to learn about like neurogenesis and stuff like that and how you can... You can literally build new nerves, like inside neurons uh, neurons inside your brain at this state of age. And it made me think, like when you were just talking, it made me think, like, that's why we have midlife crisis yeah, because is. we're trying to like we, our bodies. That was the other thing. Our bodies remember trauma. We mm-hmm. may not remember trauma in our brain and we may have bits and pieces of it, but our bodies remember. And I think that's kind of what spikes it is like our bodies go into this crisis mode and then we have to look not outward, but mm-hmm. inward. And it was really awesome to learn how the brain works with that and how the brain really is like a computer. It's like a processor and our brain has to work with our body. And the way that we align that is what we do in our everyday lives.
1: Yeah. Your brain has been conditioned to work with your body in a certain way. And that certain way might not be conducive for your happiness.
0: Yes, exactly. And so it's something where you have to, you got to go inward and you got to figure out what is it that works for me? Not what was taught to me, right?
1: We got to back up. You, You have to realize first thing you have to do is go inward and actually understand how you see the world. You can't change something until you understand it. Does that make sense? Yes. Oh, 100%. So the hardest thing for people to do is to become aware of their shitty thinking and their behaviors that are unhelpful and their physiological reactions that are happening in reaction to memories of the past. That's a lot that I just said. Yeah. Okay. Do we need to break that down? Yeah, let's break it down. Okay. So first things first. Okay. You do stupid stuff. I do stupid stuff. Not you, Brindy, you listeners. Brindy never does anything stupid. No,
0: I don't. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we all do stupid, stupid things that are completely unhelpful, that that make our lives worse, that actually bring about a lot of pain, that hurt other people, that hurt ourselves. I don't want to continue doing these things. Nobody does because yeah. they bring about pain. But the problem is what we do is we go around numbing the pain that is a result of my stupid behavior. Yeah. Yeah. And therefore, I never learn. So really, the thing that's meant to teach us the most about our life's experience and motivate us to change is pain and suffering. Mm-mm. And so one of the very, very first things that we have to do as human beings is be okay with the hurt.
0: Get comfortable with being uncomfortable.
1: you got to be able to sit in suffering. And this is why the main number one, well, the number two thing that I freaking preach like a preacher on Sunday <laughs> is mindfulness. Yes. Mindfulness, 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 mindfulness. You have to be mindful. Living a life unmindful, an unexamined life is not a life worth living.
0: Well, let's break down being mindful, right? Because yeah. I feel like some of our listeners are thinking, okay, mindfulness, you think about where you're at in the moment, but it's not just in your brain. This is what I learned a lot this weekend was brain and body. You, when you're mindful, you have to not only concentrate up in your head, but you also need to feel in your body. It's both. And so when you're being mindful, not only are you aware of where you're at, but you also are aware with like, maybe you're sitting on a chair and you can do like a body scan. And you feel every part of your body that is touching that chair and you align your mind and your body with where you're at and you can feel exactly what you're feeling in that moment, not having your head thinking about something in the future. I mean, that does happen. And so this is why you have to practice it so you can be in the moment, correct?
1: Because the thing that you're doing in that moment is you're hopefully examining who, what,
0: your your. what
1: I, are you examining?
0: My answer would be what I feel like I do when I'm mindful mm-hmm. is m- my true self. Yes. Am I staying true to my true self? Am I feeling my true self right now? Am I feeling Brindy?
1: What you're hopefully doing, okay? So mindfulness has three components, and I'm going to break them down for everybody. Component number one an intention to cultivate awareness returning to it again and again and again okay so i have this this i sit down and i go okay my job right now is i'm just going to get more aware of what of what's going on inside of me
0: what yes. it feels like inside of you not aware of what's around you well, correct what
1: what what it okay how my body inside of me is responding to what's around me. Okay. So it's both.
0: It's both. Yeah. It's all of the things.
1: So what this does, what meditation, what mindfulness, what sitting, what being does is it brings into our awareness what's actually going on at present. So that's the second very important piece of the puzzle, right? So first, intention to cultivate awareness, return to it again and again. Second piece is... Pay attention to what is occurring in the present moment. So you got to be mindful of right now here in the present, simply observing thoughts, feelings, sensations as they arise. I'm observing them. I'm witnessing them. They're not happening to me. Mm. I'm watching them happen to me from what some people call like the seat of consciousness, right? Like if you've ever read Untethered Soul, he describes it perfectly, right? Great book.
0: Great book. Go read that book. Or even
1: any of the Sadhguru stuff, right? Uh, Inner engineering, same concept, right? You can step out of the space that you're in and into the seat of consciousness and become this watcher, this observer of your life's experience.
0: And see and see you as you truly are?
1: Yes. With third component. Okay. An attitude that is non-judgmental. Most importantly, curious. Massively important. Curious. Open and kind. Open. You gotta be open. You gotta be so open. So this is the hardest part of like mindfulness and meditation. Because well, people and judge all this themselves. Stuff. Well, and, and the thing is is like Mindfulness awareness practice or meditation is, is like sitting and just really being present with yourself and, and focusing on doing this thing that we call mindfulness. But mindfulness is something that you can do all day, every day. You don't have to just sit down with the intention to cultivate awareness. No, you can live a life that is mindful where your intention is to cultivate more awareness, to learn, to be curious, to be open and to be present and and really important is to be non-judgmental. So I may have mentioned this on here before. I like this one a lot. Um, this really uh, amazing Buddhist teacher. He actually is one of the primary like Buddhists responsible for bringing Buddhism over to the West from the East back in the nineteen sixties. Sixties. His name was Trungpa Rinpoche. And what this guy did is he taught people how to just be open in a whole new way, a way that we really weren't super aware of in the West. And what he taught was that if you can treat your life like it's just a big experiment, all of a sudden you start taking things less seriously. It's not a big deal. You're just learning. And every time you make a mistake, it's an opportunity for growth, for learning. And you don't need to beat yourself up over it. You just go, oh, silly me, and move on. This is not easy to do. This no, is extremely so challenging hard. to get into that mindset. But that's the, that's the end game goal of mindfulness is to be able to examine with openness, trying to become more aware of myself and what I do and how what I do creates consequences. If I'm doing something dumb over and over and over and over and over. And then I expect a different result, right? We all know that is the commonly accepted definition for insanity. Well, no wonder I'm going crazy. No wonder I'm so anxious and freaked out all the time. I'm not willing to change my life. Go ahead.
0: And I feel like you're not being mindful, right? Like you said, it's that inner critic inside of us that's beating you down, beating you down, beating you down. And that's what mindfulness does. It helps us calm that voice inside our head and have our real self show up. And it, it makes It does but
1: sorry, I have to cut yeah. you off because this is important. what mindfulness does at first is it actually makes you more aware of that voice. Okay.
0: Well, and, yes.
1: And it gets sure. louder. Yep. And you become more aware of the negative thinking in your head. Yes. So, this is why mindfulness in the beginning is so difficult for people because most of us try to shut off that noise that inner critic we call it Yep. and when you start being mindful you start becoming aware of, of what that inner critic that inner is telling critic you.
0: Is saying. Yeah. and
1: eventually with practice you learn to listen to that inner critic yep. and you learn to understand that maybe that inner critic has like some good intentions to like make you better well, and with practice and you can quiet that voice
0: and but some, it takes time sometimes that inner critic is you know trying to help you even though like sometimes it's being negative and stuff like that but it's trying to protect you.
1: Yeah, right. ac- According to internal family systems theory, which is one of the main theories that I use in my practice, um, always trying to help you. Yeah, There's no such thing as the inner critic ever doing something not to help you. Always, always, always trying to be a helper to you and make you aware of things that you are not aware of. So in the uh, journey to cultivate awareness, one of the most important things things you can become aware of is your own negative thinking.
0: Yeah, that's so... um, For those of you who don't know, I am a life coach. And that's the first thing that I do with my clients is I have this printout of the 10 common negative thinking patterns and how you can change them. That's the first thing we work on in my session. So um, I'll kind of give you an idea of how it works, um, there's a story that like goes with it that gives you an idea of like how this tool works and hopefully you guys can use it. But in India, when training elephants, handlers begin by chaining one of the elephant's legs to a tree. Over time, they gradually decrease the size of the chain until all it takes is a flim- flimsy string to hold the elephant. It's not the string that restrains the massive animal. It is his mind. We do the exact same thing. And so the more that we are aware of our negative thinking and the more that we can call out our negative thinking as we're doing it and recognizing it and like pulling it out, like okay, I'm so stupid. Okay. Thank you brain for trying to like help me out here and like know that in this situation I'm being stupid, but I need you to take a step back. And just recognizing it and then you can start changing those patterns and instead of being like, oh, I'm stupid, it can turn into, oh, I did a stupid thing and then that's when self-compassion can come in mm-hmm. and be like, oh, well, then let's do better next time.
1: Brilliant. So when you notice negative thinking, there's like a step-by-step process that is very helpful. So we'll use your I'm stupid as the negative thinking that shows up, yeah. right? which is actually a really common one. We actually know that there's like kind of five categories really of negative thinking that show up most frequently. And, um, the, the, the thinking I'm stupid is in one of those categories, right? It's the, it's the idea that I'm worthless or not valuable or unimportant. Right. Um, and so all of a sudden I'm stupid shows up in my head, but really if you'll notice what's really interesting about the, I'm stupid thing is it's never, I'm stupid. It's "you are stupid. Yeah. Because guess who, so you have to understand who are you talk. who is this thing saying you're stupid? Number one. Number two, who is this thing saying you're stupid talking to? It's a really interesting concept, mm-hmm. right? And mindfulness allows us to step back, like you said, and examine. Let's just cultivate some awareness. Let's just be open to this idea that there's a voice in my head telling me that I'm stupid. Well, that's not me. What is that? That's the mind. Yeah. And so you're, the thing that you're, You ask your, um, ask your clients to do is you, you ask them to say, Hey, notice, be aware Mm -hmm. that's not you talking. Nope. That's a habitualized behavior. Mm -hmm. And if you go real deep with it, those learned
0: when you were little,
1: when you were little and, and sorry, moms and dads out there, but this is the gift that you give your children. Unfortunately, the gift that you were given by your parents, and people like to argue with this and disagree and all this stuff. But more, the more, more and more we research, this idea that the way you grew up influences your later life, the more evidence support this supports this theory. Evidence to the contrary is not really being discovered right now. The more we understand about the brain, about neurobiology, about human beings, the more we understand that the first fifteen years of your life really created your entire paradigm for how the world is, how the world. Works really how, how it's you supposed view to it, work. Right? Yeah. And so between the age of zero to 15, I learned somehow that, or my mind learned somehow that calling me stupid was helpful.
0: Yeah. Well, because what it does is your brain's job is to hold on to it and learn that it's trying to protect you in the future from yeah. something bad.
1: So, why? So, okay, great question. So, Why would your mind call you stupid if it's trying to protect you? What's its intention here? Mind says, you're stupid. Why? Mm -hmm. What's it worried about? If you don't think you're stupid, what, what could happen?
0: I think, well, what it protects you from is like maybe you doing something in the future That would make you look stupid, but if you don't do it, then you don't look stupid. But then it's holding you back from doing things that you truly want to try and do.
1: So, the mind's primary responsibility is to impede you, to inhibit, to keep you from acting.
0: Notice that, yes,
1: yeah, right. That's what your mind, at its most fundamental, is designed to do keep you alive. Through inaction. So guess what the number one thing your mind is going to want you to do? Stay home. Yep. Don't change a damn thing. Sit down, veg out on Netflix, eat a bunch of comfy foods, make you feel super good, pity yourself, be a little whiny bitchy person, right? Sorry. You know, that's that's the thing I tell Mm -hmm. when I go and work with my addict clients. This is the thing that I tell them. I say, your mind wants you to be a whiny bitch. Yeah. Because... Whiny bitches stay home and they don't die. They don't live either, but they also don't die. They don't die. And your mind's primary responsibility is to make sure you don't die. Die. It's not to make sure that you live. That's your job. Your job is to make sure that you live. And you have to understand that in order to live, you got to get uncomfortable. The mind views discomfort as bad all the time because as a child, discomfort meant what? For you.
0: Um, just discomfort was like for me personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. What was discomfort for me? Not feeling like everything was okay. So, what and is that I, really about? Well, I mean, if we're really being honest, death. Really, don't, I don't want to die. I don't want right. to die. I don't want to die.
1: So, can we break that down and make it simpler? Because it is about death, yes. But as a child, that's not something you're comprehending. That's something that come you become aware of later in life. That's what the midlife does, right? Makes yeah, you aware of death for sure. But really, but what it kid, is yeah. as a kid, it's you don't feel safe.
0: Yes, safe. Safety. And so you have all these yeah.
1: parameters around what safety is supposed to look like, feel like, sound like. And the moment that things aren't the way that they're supposed to look like, feel like, sound like, and you feel unsafe, immediately the brain boom kicks in a gear, shoots a bunch of chemicals into your body, and you go into a state of get safe again. Hurry. What go do back do to the to way things safe. were before. Yeah. How do I get this avoid, back to normal? Avoid, 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 don't, avoid. don't do anything. Yeah. Don't do anything. Go yeah. back to your safety cave. Go nestle up in your warm little house. Get under a blanket. Drink your freaking comfort beverage and go veg out. Yep. Because to your mind, that is the safest place you could be because nothing bad could happen to you there. All the while, slowly dying and living a miserable, unexamined
0: well, and that's where we build what? our habits, right? When we're kids and like we experience not safety for the first time. So mindfulness habits are formed.
1: So mindfulness makes us aware of our what?
0: Our habits. Yeah. For sure. Our and bad I,
1: habits, our unhelpful habits. Well,
0: and I want to touch back on what you were saying when you were talking about the parents. Like our listeners, I think, need to understand that this is something, you know, Matt has like worked on and research and stuff like that. But they're us as parents, it's hard to say because I, everyone's doing the best that they can. We are doing the best that we can as parents, you and I. But there are times where I do not meet the needs of my child. I just don't. And for them, that's life-changing for them. That's where they're making their habits. And every parent, I'm sorry to tell you, but you are going to miss a need that your child needs. You just are. And so... So what I'm saying is when these kids grow up and they go through these phases of life, just like you and I have, be open. And when they come to you and they say, this need was not meant for me, apologize. Because you didn't know and you were doing the best you can and you love that kid. And so I just think if we can be more aware of that as parents, knowing that we are not going to meet all of our kids' needs, But being aware that one day when they're open and they're going through what they're going through, be there for them, be open.
1: So, so let's, let's talk for just a second about parents who right now are going like, oh my gosh, I'm screwing up my kid. I'm a horrible parent because for sure your inner critic in your brain is telling you that right now to inhibit you from change because change is bad according to your brain. So here's what we have to do. <clears throat> we have to understand that there's a light side and a dark side to every piece of information. Okay. Yeah. The light side to this awareness, awareness. is right. The light yep. side to this awareness that I do harm to my children with my shitty parenting mm-hmm. is to make me more aware of the shitty things that I do to my kids so that I don't hurt them anymore. The dark side to this is now I don't parent.
0: Mm.
1: I don't hold boundaries I'm too scared to to hurt hurt my child. And so I let them run wild. This is worse. Yes. This is the epidemic of parenting that we are currently experiencing. And I'm not the only one talking about this. You will hear about this all over the place, right? One of the major, major problems we have in, especially in Western culture right now, is an inability to parent effectively because we're afraid that we might traumatize our children. Yep. So I'm so terrified that I'm going to be a bad parent that I just don't parent.
0: Yeah. That's
1: worse because you want to know the worst thing you can do to your child? The worst thing you do to your child is abandon them. Oh, yes. And when you don't parent your child, you don't go to them and talk to them and educate them and make them aware and teach them. When you don't build a relationship with your child, you neglect them, you abandon them. And I'll tell you right now, the most sad, tragic, broken, hurt people that come into my office are people who are abandoned by their parents. Yeah. And so this is the hardest part of parenting is understanding that there's a balance. So I have good news. There's been research on this. Hooray! Woo-hoo. <laughs> and you can look this up. It's called good enough parenting. And what we know about good enough parenting is that basically you're meeting your child's needs Closely researched 50% of the time, that's good enough parenting. And if you're meeting your kids needs 50% of the time, there's evidence, lots of evidence to support that this child will turn into a very healthy member of society. Because guess what? What makes a person a good person? crappy things happening to them and learning how to respond.
0: uh so unbelievably right? true.
1: So I just sent you mm-hmm. a video this morning of Gary V. You guys know who Gary Vaynerchuk is? Friggin' this guy's such a stud. <laughs> he's, he's so like wonderful at he's at, open. He's great. He's at, just at open business to learning and, everything. He's, yeah. He's like a guru of advice now. Yeah. And and anyways, it's this really cool TikTok and what the, <laughs> what Gary V says is he talks about this very thing that we were talking about. Gary Vee says the worst thing that you can do to your kid is not give them space to make mistakes. He says, you know what you need to do? You need to make sure that your kid loses. Yes. We need kids coming in eighth place and seventh place. And whatever it is that you do for your child... If you make your kid think that he has to always win in order to be good enough to build his self-esteem, guess what? Every time that kid loses, he thinks he's a loser. Why don't you just go and teach your kid how to lose, which I have, have tried so hard with our kids.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: Because it's important. Because I learned how to lose.
0: I, I really did, yeah. man.
1: Think about all the freaking failures we've been through, Brittany Kay.
0: Holy yeah.
1: shit. Yeah. We've failed constantly. It's not about failing. It's not about losing. It's about responding and the after effects. Can you learn from those and grow from them? That's really what it's about. And I think that that's what this is, is when you make a mistake, and you said it very beautifully, when you make a mistake as a parent, and you know you did, go apologize. Oh, and when the yeah. comes, kid comes to you and he's hurt and you did make a mistake and you know you did, and he's begging you for an apology without asking for it vocally, your job is to get down on his or her level, look right in the eyes and say, Hey, I love you. Guess what? Making mistakes is part of being human. And I know you're going to make mistakes too. And when you make mistakes, I'm going to be just as forgiving with you
0: Yeah,
1: as I tried to be with myself yeah. when I screwed up. That doesn't mean I don't love you. That just means mistakes were made.
0: What can we do next time?
1: Let's let's That's do something. That's how you different. can learn what you yeah. can do next time. Yeah. yeah.
0: And by all means, we are not parenting experts, but we have just done the research and a lot of things that I learned from the conference this weekend too with abandonment um, and parenting. It, it was it was incredible, and I think you know our firstborn child. <laughs> We're apologizing to him constantly. He's our first kid. We don't know what we're doing. You really don't get a manual with your kids. And so I will say since we've started taking that role of apologizing to him, he has learned how to apologize when he makes a mistake. And it's been really cool to watch it kind of unfold. And, you know, as a mother, we never want our kids to fail ever. It is so hard to watch that. And I can testify watching your child fail and watching them pick themselves up and gain that sense of confidence and the sense of I can do hard things goes so far for them. Testify testify bring it Brandy
1: (laughs) because well and going back to painful suffering stuff watching your kid fail how does that feel
0: oh it hurts it stings it hurts So, as I think too as a mom it's so uncomfortable and my first instinct always always is I can help them I can step in I can do it I can take care of it and I have physically had to like Pull my foot back and, wa- yourself. Yes, and walk backwards and, and shut my mouth because he won't learn if I come in and rescue him all the time. He won't. Our kids will not learn if we are constantly rescuing them. And then what does that do to them if something happens to you one day and you're gone?
1: It robs them. <laughs> it robs and this them. Is, this is so tough because it doesn't seem like it's selfish to rob your children from their pain, but it is because it's not about them. It's about my own discomfort and me trying to avoid feeling yucky and uncomfortable. Right. I don't like the way that I feel when my kid fails. So I try to make sure my kid doesn't fail to deal with my own feelings.
0: Whoa.
1: Yeah. Right. And if you take this all the way back to traumatic events from childhood, one of the things that you learn in childhood is an over responsibility for the things that happen around you. The egocentric nature of life, especially of that of a child, is that the world revolves around me. Mm-hmm. And it's my fault when bad things happen. Greatest example of this that I give is a super easy example. When you ask a child, why are mommy and daddy splitting up or getting divorced? 999 times out of 1,000, that kid is going to say, it's my fault. And that is 1,000 out of 1,000 times false.
0: Oh, 100% false. Yeah. But
1: the thing is, is that kid doesn't understand that because that's the way the child brain works. Works. It's not fully developed yet. Mm -hmm. So what parents have to do to grow and mature and learn is understand that when your child is hurting, that is not... On you. That is not your responsibility. That is not your job to fix. It is your job to make them aware of the thing that they are doing that creates the hurt and then help them come up with ideas of how to do something different next time, rather than prevent them from feeling the pain of it. Because when you prevent them from feeling the pain of it, guess what you cheat them of? Opportunity.
0: Opportunity. Well, and then you can even flip that, right? because so that's negative, let's turn it to the positive. Then when your kid does something awesome, they get to reap in the benefits of them doing it. And no one else did it. It was all them.
1: Wait, you mean when my kid's, Succeed. It's not because of me. Nope. Hold on. It's not. Hold on. Mm -mm. Hold on. You mean all these parents that put their kids in sports all freaking day, every day, (laughs) and and rob them of their childhoods because they're so excited for them to go play college sports, and they're there at every single game, and they tell all of their friends all the time, and the first thing they do is pull out their freaking wallet and show their kid on the sports team that you mean that that's not my success. It's theirs. That
0: is a one hundred percent. And if this is you, I hope this stings.
1: I don't care. I'm serious. I hope this stings because. The saddest thing, gosh, uh, uh, is, is getting adults in my office whose parents lived vicariously through them and watching them break down. Because they realized that their parents didn't understand how important it was to let a child be a child. And this epidemic of robbing children of consequences is, is right there in line with pushing children to be adults too quickly.
0: Yeah,
1: And it's, it's, this is delicate, scary territory. Well, and taking
0: their win. It's it's sorry really hard. parents, it's not your win, no. it's the child's win. When they come in no. that door and they're like, I did it, or they did something incredible, it is because they did it. And we need to teach them that. Even like when they're feeling sad, they need to figure out how they can get through that. We are just, in my opinion, we are just a vessel for our kids. And we're here to hopefully teach them how to be contributing citizens to society and that one day they can go out on their own. And guess what? When they go out on their own, they're going to mess up too. And the whole point is to teach them, hopefully to figure out how to clean up the mess up and to get through it and teach them self-compassion because we all mess up and we all need to love ourselves with our mess ups and we need to, we need to be nicer to ourselves. We need to be more aware of our inner critic, our negative thinking and change it to positive thinking
1: the nicer you are to yourself, the more willing and open you are to change.
0: A hundred percent.
1: Because if I'm really, really mean to myself and I think that I'm a terrible, horrible piece of crap, I'm not going to change. We, that's just how the brain works. The yeah. brain habitualizes responses based off of reward, right? Not off of negative consequences. Yeah. You ingrain more deeply behaviors and habits when there's a negative response at the end. If you are beating yourself into submission toward change, the likelihood of you changing is way smaller than it would be if you were to reward yourself for positive growth-style changes. And that's um, that's applies to parenting perfectly because the thing that you're trying to do with your kid is understand that, hey, when you are successful and you have a win, look what you've done.
0: Yeah.
1: Own it. This has nothing to do with me. Sure. I'll support you all the way, buddy. I love you, girl. Whatever you need from me, I got you. I'm not going anywhere. I'll never leave you. I'm never going anywhere. I will never abandon you. That's your job. And then the next thing is, however, there are moments where I will stand right by and watch you suffer and I will let you figure out how to navigate through suffering. And hold your hand, but I'm not going to do it for you.
0: Yeah. That's when we sit with them in the suffering. You can yeah. sit with them in the suffering. That's actually a beautiful thing. That's how we teach our kids empathy.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and this applies to me too. Oh yeah. I don't need to rob myself of my suffering and try and numb it away.
0: You try need to feel it.
1: Avoid it. Right. Yeah. And that's this conference this weekend. Like how many times, cause it's an addiction conference. Yeah. Yeah. How many times did you hear stuff about this very idea that oh, we avoid almost, yeah. our problems?
0: Almost every conference. And it was incredible. It, it it's it's almost like, you know, the clichés, like you said last time, like, you know, the clichés are clichés for a reason. But it was insane the process of each of these incredible psychiatrists, doctors, therapists. Like, you guys, these were stand-up people with really awesome educations who have done research And the cliche things that were to do to help you with addiction and trauma, mindfulness was in there. Mindfulness was like in almost every single one, like people were talking about. And, and I think we, we avoid mindfulness because it is so small and it's like, eh, I, I can do that later. And we always push it off, push it off, push it off. But I think if we really could, um, as a community, all be a little bit more mindful, it would do a lot. It would do a lot.
1: And and to practice mindfulness, the best thing you can do is start with uh, an app.
0: Yeah, someone who's guiding you. Do
1: some sitting meditation Mm -hmm. for about five to ten minutes a day. There's actually research on this. Surprise. And we know that if you do a sitting-style meditative mindfulness practice, right, you can lay or sit and just be for about five to ten minutes. Um, If you do that for eight weeks, five out of seven days for eight weeks, we know that your brain physically changes. The part of your brain that is smart, the part of your brain that is aware, because I don't know if you know, that there's different parts of the brain that do different things, The part of your brain that is aware, the part of your brain that is smart, the part of your brain that can connect action to consequence, the part of your brain that is spiritually intelligent, the part of your brain that is creative, this is called your prefrontal cortex, neurons grow in that part of the brain. And you can measure the actual physiological structural growth in your brain after only eight weeks of meditation. Now, what this translates to is an enhanced ability... To control impulse, don't you think that would be nice?
0: Oh man, especially that's for how you. we
1: to this whole thing, right?
0: <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> well, I was just reading my my notes here that I have, and I have um, a quote from Inner Engineering from Sadhguru, and I think it goes really well with this. He says, "Awareness is not something that you do. Awareness is what you are. Awareness is aliveness." And that's exactly what mindful helps you with is get aware and be alive. And it's beautiful.
1: Wouldn't you love to be more alive? Yes. Yeah. And one know the other cool thing too, this has been researched as well. If you have a, a prefrontal cortex, that's pretty dominant, meaning the front part of your brain, the smart part of your brain, that's pretty dominant. You actually have a higher pain tolerance.
0: Yeah. I learned that this weekend. Yeah, I cool. was so fascinated by that. Yeah. A lot of brain work talk. It was really cool. Yeah. You guys should look up, the, like, look up the amygdala and how what parts of your brain work with what. It's really fascinating. If you can understand that more, I think it's a little bit easier to understand how to do mindfulness, I think, actually. I think
1: next um, Matt Brindy episode, I think we should do a neurobiology episode.
0: That would be cool.
1: And maybe um, we can do a video one.
0: Yeah. Oh, and that's actually a good idea. And you yep. can draw on the whiteboard. And yeah. Show I have a whole spiel that I do yeah.
1: on that whole thing. And I think it would be helpful for people. And we could post a link to it. You can also listen to it. It'll, it'll be great either way. That would be really cool. Um, we could even like post some visuals with it and stuff like that. But. Um,
0: well, before we end. Be yeah. Can you give us just kind of like a list of the benefits of mindfulness? In the Mm -hmm. end, why do we do mindfulness?
1: I think that quote that you, that you, um, Sadhguru's quote that you read is really the, the best way to put it. Mindfulness creates an awareness of who you are and why you are doing what you're doing why you're living. Not like why you do what you do, like the reasons from your past that create your habitual behaviors. No, more the why behind what you do. What is your motivation for living? Why do you continue on living in this very difficult, painful experience? Why? What are you doing? What are you creating? What's life about for you? what means the most to you. It helps you understand meaning, which is really in the end, what is your purpose? You know? Yeah. And, and there's this, you know, big, huge question. What is the meaning of life? Mindfulness brings you an awareness of what it means Mm -hmm. to be alive.
0: Well, it can kind of help you find your why. I think mindfulness can help you do that.
1: It does. And, and really, um, without getting too you know, religious, I want to highlight the importance of being mindful because one of the most common religious practices that we are, you know, asked to do is prayer. Well, if you change your intention when you pray to be more of a listener than a talker, that's mindful. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because
0: Instead of sitting there and asking for things. Because
1: a lot of prayer is, hey, yeah, I'm really grateful and here's all the stuff that I need. Okay, bye. Well, when you really start to dig into what prayer is, it's actually more mindful, more meditative than you realize. Yeah. If you can sit and listen and be open to the will of God for you and let God speak to you, if you will, isn't that what? mindfulness is? Aren't we saying the same thing? Isn't that meditative? The voice that's within me is
0: God, yeah. essentially. Yeah. And How when, does God speak to you? Yeah. Through, Through your heart. heart. And then when you get mindful, you can really hear that. Yeah. yeah.
1: Because all the noise kind of slips away yeah. and you're able to be really present and you're able to really be connected to your higher power, which we heard a ton about at this conference, a right? Ton Holy at this conference. moly! Twelve steps, twelve steps, twelve steps. Yeah. You guys haven't read the twelve steps; they're amazing. Yeah. But the whole really cool. idea behind the twelve steps and the twelve steps, um, Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous, and all this stuff—the whole idea is to help these people who are just in this dark place to open up to the idea that there's more to life than just you.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, a hundred percent. And that's one thing that I loved about the 12 step. I think it was Brian T's. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Did I say it yeah. right.
1: My buddy, Brian.
0: Yeah. Good guy. Stard, I, huh? I like, cool. oh right? my goodness. Like yeah. you meet this guy and you're just like, I want to be friends. We should get him on here. Yes. But one thing that he said to me that really, really stood out was connection is spirituality. Yes. and if and, and that's big in the 12-step community right is connection is helping each other We are all here to help each other We are all going through the same thing we all experience the same emotions and so if we can connect with one another with one another <laughs> each other um, then we can all help each other and like isn't that what it comes down to
1: Yeah and, and the cool part about connection too is there's connection to you and me connection to our relationship mm-hmm. there's connection to myself there's connection to my ancestry right yes. to my history yeah. to my parents to where i came from to where i'm going connection is huge and so that's why connection and spirituality are essentially synonymous well, we're because we're all connected really, what's the thing that i'm trying to be most connected to myself now
0: yeah right now
1: i want to be to to moment the moment the moment And the way to do that is to be connected to myself. And when I'm connected to the moment, guess who I'm most connected to or what I'm most connected to? God. That's beautiful. And when you look at it from a West and East combined perspective, they both describe God as the same thing.
0: Yeah. It's just like opposite almost.
1: It's... Well, they're saying the same thing. But no, they're they saying the same it, thing. No, I know. Yeah, but
0: like one's up in the sky, and then one's, one's here in, in 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 us. You know, and so I. And really, the Holy really cool. Trinity
1: explains that as the same thing. That uh-huh. God is within and without, and, and it is a little confusing. But but I think um, if you guys haven't heard Oprah's explanation of God, she just calls it the All, which I think is so good. Yeah, That
0: is cool. The All, I like that. It's everything. Mm-hmm.
1: It's not like this remote thing. Far away, it's this everything. It's well, everywhere. It's ever-present. And that is one of the most powerful ways to describe deity or God or whatever. It's ever-present. And so really what it comes down to is the thing that we're all desperately trying to connect to is this God-like energy that we call love.
0: Oh, for sure. 100%. And so
1: mindfulness connects me to love, makes me more Loving. Lovely.
0: Yeah. More and more kind. kind and more, more, more open to connect with somebody and share that loving and kindness
1: and connect to myself and connect to myself. because the person I yeah. need the most in my life is me. Yeah. And this is the yeah. hardest thing to get people to freaking understand because everybody's always trying to be like, well, I need something from this person. I need something from that person. I need something from this person. But what we really need desperately is a connection with me. And understanding that I was born with everything I need.
0: Well, and you, yeah, I was just going to say that you were born with everything you need. You don't need anything from anyone else. Yeah. It's beautiful. This is, this could be a whole nother episode too. We could totally go into this. This is why we do this. But this was amazing. Thank you so much for letting me come with you this weekend to the Utah. Thanks for coming with me. It
1: was really cool to have you there. It was
0: amazing, and we will definitely have to get Brian T's on here. That would be awesome.
1: Brian would be a rad guest. We could. It would be fun to get a couple other people. Doctor Watson would be a cool guest. Yeah, he was amazing too. Yeah,
0: I I learned a lot about the brain from him. That was really cool. Yeah, he's smart, dude. Anyways, but you guys try out mindfulness, please. There's so many apps that you can download. There's Calm. There's Headspace. They even have stuff on Netflix. Just give it a try. Give yourself two weeks, give yourself 14 days (laughs) and then make a judgment on it. You can't understand something unless you understand it. And if you want to understand it, you got to give it a try and And then you can make a judgment on it.
1: If you want more information on mindfulness and how to practice it, or if you want to somehow work with Brindy. Yeah. Reach out.
0: Reach out. I I totally would love to do that. We can, yep. you know, in some of my sessions, we have done that. We've done meditation sessions and just really learned on how to get meditated. And it, it is hard, you guys. It's difficult in the beginning. And you judge yourself so much, but it's such a good way to learn how to be aware of that inner critic inside you. And the more you learn about that inner critic inside you, the more aware you are to opening up to learning more about yourself. So hit me up if you need to.
1: Well, that was fun. That was fun. I love you.
0: I love you. Thank you. hope you
1: guys have a wonderful day, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Finding Strength
0: Strength Podcast.